Hello, my name is Sophie Monts Kaufman, and this is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That could be on the blooper reel. <laughs> sorry, I didn't. Even... Welcome to Spill Your Guts. Sorry, that's like a radio DJ. I'm gonna say it again, not like a radio DJ. Hello, welcome to Spill Your Guts. Hello, my name's Sophie Munts Kaufman. Hi, my name's Lizzie Stinson. And we are plumbing the depths of our dark past as Believics to bring you a series of episodes that talk about a disorder that I think is not very well described within the public eye. And today the name of the episode is How Does Bulimia End? Uh, it, I think the subject of bulimia is pretty messy and this is reflected in the content of the episode which doesn't really just cover how bulimia ends but this is the guiding focus and we also have a very exciting guest so stay tuned to discover who he is. Liz what are you hoping to get out of this podcast? Um, So I think I'm hoping to have a space where I can talk about like like personal issues that that happened and I suppose for myself work out like maybe work while I'm talking, work some of that out. Um, and also, um, I don't know, almost like a, a little bit of uh, like hope that I think you can get through some of these things and thinking about um, like more seriously what the kind of long-term, the long-term effects are and how, they, how that can linger. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's like, it's, I'm excited to integrate this, this part of my life with my current life because I feel like, uh, I mean, this is not the experience of our guest, Tom Fairbrother, uh, but for us, we like recovered and never spoke about what we went through because we just wanted to put it behind us. And um, yeah, it, I'm excited to just own stuff uh, that happened. And I think it's not so rare what happened. And so it's good to be people that talk about this stuff. So, yes, it says read out diagnostic criteria. <laughs> Ideally, I would have that to hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as I don't, I will quickly use uh, popular search engine Google. <laughs> okay, so this is the DSM IV diagnostic criteria for bulimia nervosa, and that stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, Volume Four, which I believe all medical professionals have as a reference. In terms of eating disorders, the DSM IV provides diagnostic criteria for anorexia, bulimia, and eating disorders (NOS), not otherwise specified. It is important to remember that someone can still have an eating disorder or body image issues and not meet the diagnostic criteria, such as most people in the Western world. Uh, Sorry, that's an editorial comment. That's (laughs) that's not within the volume. Um, So yeah, one, eating in a discrete period of time, e.g. within any two-hour period, an amount of food that is definitely larger than most people would eat during a similar period of time and under similar circumstances. Two, a sense of lack of control over eating during the episode e.g. a feeling that one cannot stop eating or control what or how much one is eating. B. Recurrent inappropriate compensatory behaviour in order to prevent weight gain, such as self-induced vomiting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, enemas or other medications, fasting or excessive exercise. C. The binge eating and inappropriate compensatory behaviour both occurs on average at least twice a week for three months. D. Self-evaluation is unduly influenced by body shape and weight. E. The disturbance does not occur exclusively during episodes of anorexia nervosa. So, and then the specific types. 
there's purging type. During the current episode of bulimia nervosa, the person has regularly engaged in self-induced vomiting or the misuse of laxatives, diuretics or enemas. And then there's non-purging type. During the current episode of bulimia nervosa, the person has used other inappropriate compensatory behaviours such as fasting or excessive exercise, but has not regularly engaged in self-induced vomiting or the misuse of laxatives, diuretics or enemas. So yeah, so I was a purging type. Um, yeah, I, d I don't think I know anyone that had non-purging type, I think. Quite hard to define as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, I guess non-purging type is just, it is maybe a a bit more just that you overeat and then you kind of compensate afterwards for a long time so yeah it's uh yeah a little bit more blending in with what a normal person normal inverted commas person we with do. concerns about their weights yeah. would do um and yeah this is the thing i think that you and i Liz, have talked about how it, you you know you've got these like these really specific diagnostic criteria but really a lot of the thought patterns and behavioural patterns are still present even when you kind of, you graduate from that criteria. And so, you know, you might not be throwing up, but you can still, if things go wrong, you start to think about, oh, like if I was thinner, I could control my appetite more, then things would be fixed. So you have this kind of like lingering, lingering idea of yourself that is threaded through how the disorder works yeah definitely and also you can even you could I mean I guess it does allude to that but you could have you because I think it's like a it's a pattern um and I guess Sophie and I started quite young um so I was about I think I was 12 and so like and I stopped when I think I was 21 but between 12 and 21 I wasn't consistently throwing up like two two whatever it is two times a week like it it was up and down but yeah the thought patterns were still there and so um I d like I don't think like obviously that description is like mildly helpful but um thinking about someone as a whole person about why they get to that point um I think it's yeah it's more to do with the, those kind of thoughts and feelings and destructive like destructive behavior um uh and um and also I think some of the social pressures like the second one non-purging that's normalized now I think like like I so Sophie and I spoke about this as well like I really like work out a lot I'm really into the yoga world and just like the fitness world and that type of behavior behavior is totally normalized there's an obsession with clean eating there's an obsession with like being like thin slash really strong and muscly like it's sort of slight paradox um and um and I and I would say that that's probably never used to like diagnose us as a like even as a society um yeah that's it I think it and a lot of the reason why a lot of people can go undiagnosed or like you know Lizzie said from 12 to 21 you had some bulimic habits mm. and you know it like you can kind of live a functioning life and people aren't like running around asking if you're okay because yeah it 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 kind of blends into society to be concerned about your weight and to think oh like weight loss equals self-improvement and all these ideas are just everywhere and so it's quite hard to recover really <laughs> yeah and I also think that of the people that I know not every not everyone like sustained a kind of bulimic habit but most people I know threw up a few times like at some point like because I think that 
yeah, it's it is to do with um, I I agree like the wider pressures as well in society that do almost normalize that behavior to a certain extent and then if you go over that suddenly you're like a problem and an issue but I don't think there's a lot that thinks about well how you get to that point in the first place I agree with you Elizabeth (laughs) thank you I did not know as well that you like it's like for you when you were 12 um I yeah for me it started when I was 15 and I just went on a diet and then uh the diet just turned into an eating disorder uh hooray and yeah then probably like wound down around 24 so my friend uh <laughs> we'd both eaten like a kit kat and my friend from like out of school was like oh you know what you can do if uh, you eat something can you you feel a bit fat afterwards and then she took me to the bathroom <laughs> and we threw up oh my god your friend walked you through your first bulimic <laughs> episode yeah <laughs> but that's got but that i think that shows the wider problem problem and I feel that like I don't know there should have been some education around for me to know that that's not a good idea but it wasn't that seemed like a good idea I mean we shared some pretty weird moments we shared some pretty weird moments yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, to be continued. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this episode is like focusing on the ending of bulimia, and so I'm, I'm going to kind of we, we can we can talk more about the you know living with bulimia and all these different other aspects of it uh, another another time. But um, yeah, you mentioned that when you were 21, that's when you think you pretty yeah. much started to feel better. And like, how did that how did that start to happen? So um, so for me, like like I. I'm not even sure if I would have hit <laughs> would have hit the medicalized version of bulimia by the time I was 21. Like I'm not even sure if I was like I was throwing up particularly regularly. And I'd had um, two years of counselling with an amazing counsellor at uni. Um, and then it was so odd. She she was even suggesting maybe I should do some CBT when I left uni, just because she felt that a lot of the emotional stuff we'd really worked through. It was almost like I'd got this habit of um not like I say it was like not a very regular habit but just occasionally I'd fall in back to it and then um it was so odd like I left uni and then started my uh like MA and like I think pretty much as soon, like there was like a day like maybe the day I well, maybe not the day I started my MA but like that period where it just stopped like just stopped and that was it but that period had been a long time coming. But, yeah, that period had been a long time coming. And I think if addressing some of those thought patterns, they hadn't all gone away. And I don't think they I don't think they ever could all go away, uh, particularly uh, because of some of the pressures, that, like the social pressures that are still there. But um, l- like we'd got to a point where we'd really talked, talked them through. And then, yeah, it just, just stopped. Did you feel at all like you'd lost something? Because you know it, it's a familiar habit by this point of having been doing it on and off for nine years do you know what no like I, I just remember feeling like I don't I don't even like it's hard because you looking back in hindsight it feels like a kind of <laughs> like magical moment and everything was <laughs> in you know like a glow of white light but I don't Did really... you see God <laughs> yeah. but I don't think it was like that it must have just like stopped and then that then I must have suddenly realized that I mean, it must have been like a year where, it, like, it, I just hadn't done it or something. And, um, but I do, I don't remember feeling like I'd lost anything. Like, it just felt great. Um, and there is a sense of, I don't know, you've come, th- 
place a bit cheesy, but there is a sense that you've come through something and you've battled, you've battled something and um, you're like free of it. Like, how about you? Yeah, again, it was like, I was sick of it by the time I was 24. When I was first developing bulimia, I think you feel this real thrill of excitement. Like if you're obsessed with restricting your calories and restricting your intake and you have more and it's a disaster, like it's the worst disaster that's ever happened. It's worse than the Titanic. It's worse than World War One and two. Uh, and then you figure out a way to reverse it, and you feel really proud. And it's like, a, 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 yeah, it, it's something that you enjoy uh, having the power to to do and to to get rid of calories and to feel like you're still on track. Because uh, in your mind, you know, if if you lose weight and you become thin, then uh, all problems will disappear. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, very quickly for me, like within a year, two years, I was very unhappy. I, I, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing anything good. I felt like I was stuck in a cycle and making myself unhappy and I just didn't know how to get out of it because I didn't really have good coping mechanisms for, for, for anything in life. And it was my coping mechanism for anything, for feeling happy, for feeling sad, for uh, feeling frustrated, for every single thing, this is what I would do. And it was like, a, it was a compulsion, it was a reflex and I was so sick of it, but I didn't know how to get better. Um, and yeah, I, I think what made the biggest impact on me was I went to live with my friends, uh, called Kyra and Richard, shout out to Kyra and Richard. And, uh, they, they just, they had a really healthy approach to food and eating and Kyra would cook these lovely home cooked meals. And I was like, this is just so much more pleasant than, uh, binging and purging. And when I just eat this like lovely home cooked meal with leeks and mushrooms, it, I feel good. And if I would throw it up, I would feel bad. And I know that, and I know that in this moment, I've, I've got the power to, to choose a good way forward. Uh, so yeah, see so that, that was like, I think that was my epiphany. And, um, you know, I, I still would occasionally throw up and, you know, that I think uh, this last Christmas it's been, is probably the only Christmas I haven't thrown up because I just couldn't cope with feeling full but it wouldn't be like I would it, it, it was like an it was an abnormal thing to do and I wouldn't if I would throw up I wouldn't feel like oh I'm gonna do this again it'd be like a one-off and I um that's markedly different to how it was when it was at its worst when like throwing up would just be like part of a cycle that would never end um so yeah I, I think being around people who are had the jump on me on how to live well and who could inspire me by example. Not intentionally, like I don't think they were like, right, let's inspire Sophie by her example. But <laughs> Kick some leaks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. And I, I do really strongly believe that y- you do need, you need good people and you need good forces and you need good examples around you to recover from anything because otherwise what are you going to fill that empty space with? And a, a lot of problems are feeling emptiness in your life and I, I do think that one way for people to progress is yeah to just find people that inspire them and find things they want to do more than indulge their compulsion yeah I mean mine was probably my uni counsellor who was who was amazing and I don't think she did treat because by that point I don't even think I was throwing up like once a week or even but um she saw it as like I think she saw yeah that thing about seeing someone as a whole be- being so for me like she 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 talked she talked through because I also read around when I was thinking about doing this this um, podcast I also read around like uh, body dysmorphia disorder which sometimes I think um you I like some of the things about obsessive worrying about 
how you look and blah 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 I could fall into but really in in the end like I think it came back to like sort of feelings of anxiety and not quite knowing what to do and and that probably I had those there probably from a really young age and the, the reason she was so amazing is that's what we focused on and that's you know not really the bulimia like that only came up when my our sessions were ending and it, it is just interesting that as those sessions ended any anyway it it stopped yeah and what you're saying it really chimes into you this idea of people as individuals like the problem with it, a definition is it presumes that everyone who has these problems can be treated in the same way but I think it means something different to everybody that suffers and mm. it is wound up in other issues that you have about yourself and that's why it's so difficult to progress from because yeah it's just it, it's a, it's a, a symptom of other other problems you have really yeah yeah Okay, so yeah, I'm really uh, excited and grateful that we have on the show, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Uh, Tom. uh, He, yeah, I'll let you kind of uh, introduce yourself and uh, yeah, talk about how how you came into contact with us. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, I got in touch with Sophie after I um, decided to tell my friends and family and stuff about what I'd been doing for a couple of years. Um, and what had you been doing for a couple of years? Yeah, so I kind of between uh, the start of 2013 to the end of 2014, I was bulimic, yeah, for kind of that whole two-year period. Um, yeah, and then I eventually kind of started to tell people and yeah, it kind of spiralled very quickly and here I am. And when you were starting to develop bulimic behaviours, did you know that that's what you were doing? Or was it just some more instinctive thing and you only yeah. figured out what you had later? Well, it started, um, a guy... Um, I do a lot of running and I'd been running for a long time that time anyway so it wasn't like I was using that as a the exercise as a way to kind of lose weight or control my weight I didn't even think about it at all really I knew I was kind of an active guy and whatever but then I went out to a, like a running camp in Kenya um, and I was injured when I went out there so I wasn't able to train and you know I was surrounded by these kind of world-class athletes and they're all kind of stick thin you know, as you kind of most people picture a marathon runner or whatever and um yeah it kind of started there a guy just said oh you know he asked me how much I weighed I remember it was a really weird question to ask another guy um and I said I don't know what I was at the time it was like 70 kilos something like 71 or something and he said oh if you got down to 66 I remember it was I don't know why don't know where he plucked this number from but he was like if you get down to 66 kilos you know I think it would really help your running and stuff I don't know I was there I was there on my own like I was missing my friends and stuff like it was really remote like part of Africa, there was no Wi-Fi. Was like the power cuts all the time, and I don't. I think I probably just had loads of time to think about it. And it's probably the sort of thing if I had been like in a kind of good place, I probably would have yeah. just laughed it off and yeah, wouldn't have thought anything of it. But I kind of just thought, well, you know, maybe I could lose like a little bit. Um, and because I wasn't able to train because I was injured, mm. I thought, well, I'll just you know like start eating a bit less and. Um, yeah, I lost a little bit of weight and then I came home. Um, I don't know, I just had this number, like this 66 kilos. And then I got they got there to 66, just mainly through, I just, initially I just wasn't eating that much at all. And I kind of got back running and stuff. And I remember I got, got to get 66 kilos and it was like, well, like I didn't, <laughs> I got there. It wasn't like I was going to get a prize for getting there or something. And I was like, well, what do I like do now? You know, and it just kept going. And... And then it got to the point where I was just eating so little that I was just absolutely starving. 
And so it wasn't sustainable to kind of run and stuff as much as I was without eating anything. So I would just, that's when I just started binging. And then obviously like the guilt would kick in and stuff. And yeah, it was just a spiraled from there for a couple of years. So. And um, what what did the people around you think? And how, how quickly did they notice that something was yeah. going on? Um, well, because I was running a lot anyway, and I think I'd obviously lost quite a lot of weight. Um, I think people, you know, you get the odd comment here or there about, you know, you've lost a bit of weight or people would say, oh, you're looking really lean or whatever. And yeah, like people just attribute it to the fact that I was running a lot and I was like an active guy and I ate really healthily, like around people I would eat really healthily. Um, yeah, so I think quite quickly people noticed, but then I kind of felt like I had to, I don't know, I got it in my head that that's how people saw me as like this particular size or whatever. So I was like, I can't, like, not... I've, in my head, I kind of thought, like, if I, like, put on more weight or whatever, people would think... Like, people would comment on, oh, you know, like, Tom's put some weight on or whatever, which is ridiculous. Obviously, the hindsight's absolutely ridiculous. But by the time, I remember just... I was like, right, I've got to stay here. And it was just such an unsustainable weight, like, naturally, to stay that weight because, you know, it was a lot, a lot lighter than I had always been, like, growing up and stuff. So the only way I could stay there was just to... Yeah. Did you feel outside pressures? Because as someone who's, as I said, like really into fitness as yeah, well, yeah. I think like the fitness world, which don't get me wrong, like I love, it's obviously amazing. But yeah. like, like all on Instagram, like the kind of people I follow, like <laughs> inspirationally, but just oh, I know. You, it's, like, it's, the but worst. it's the worst. It's the worst because there's such a weird contradiction. Because there's all these like, be- like I don't know, pictures of like that are so kind of like. So beautiful and professional yeah. looking that will highlight people's muscles and leanness and then posts about like eating vegan like chai oh, yeah. like yeah. like uh, quinoa porridge blah 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 and like did you find that added to I your think, um, worries like, yeah because obviously it was like running marathons and stuff I think there's there's definitely like a body image in running mm. that you should be like all runners are just thin people you know but yeah so I think maybe I was it kind of felt didn't feel that bad because I was around other runners who were also slim. Like around my friends and stuff, I felt, or like if I was out, you know, like in a pub or whatever, you'd feel like you were, you know, probably sticking out a little bit. Because I spent so much time like around other runners and stuff, I think, yeah, maybe I can, the pressure was probably there to kind of stay that way because I'd probably look around and think, well, mm. these guys are all pretty slim or whatever. And, um, yeah, I remember seeing it. I saw something on Instagram the other day from the body coach and this guy that everyone yeah. can't get enough of. Yeah. And he, what did he post? He wrote something like, I oh, woke up, exercised so hard, I made myself sick. Great way to start the day. And I was like, that's a terrible way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're saying that like, you feel good because you've made yourself sick. I was like, it's such a horrible, horrible message. Yeah. And was everyone like, woo, yeah, like. Yeah, it was like 10,000 likes. I was like, this guy. <laughs> really so how would you advise people to stay sane and healthy surrounded by destructive messages and images in the- yeah I don't know it's, it's very difficult there's so much pressure now as you guys touched on it especially kind of January early, early parts mm. of the year around like you know losing weight or like you know joining gyms and fitness and stuff you just gotta it's very difficult I don't think there's an easy way to kind of feel comfortable with it you just, I guess you just have to try and feel like yeah I don't I, I don't really know to be honest I think maybe try and feel comfortable with your appearance and maybe surround yourself with people who yeah like-minded I guess 
and also you can um like definitely like surround yourself like so yeah surround yourself with people that like you said are supportive and will make you feel good mm. and then maybe also a balance like I don't know like if you're really into like health like make sure that like you've got like friends not that are like really into being unhealthy but are, like not as focused on that side of is that the role I play for you <laughs> no that's not the role you play for me but you know what I mean friends that have different like it sounds maybe silly but friends that have like different interests that maybe don't focus around like sport or fitness that or is the role I play for you. <laughs> so like my best friend yeah. kind of, I'm the only one kind of of my friends who's kind of really into their sports I think it's, yeah that has helped I think the fact that they just don't care about kind of what they eat and stuff like that I think yeah. probably has helped whereas before I kind of spent so much time around like other runners and stuff I think I just felt like this pressure to stay as I was. Whereas I think with my friends, it's much, they just, yeah. If you want to go and have a pizza or whatever, no one's, my friends aren't going to sort of raise an eyebrow or yeah. whatever. And I think that just makes it more like relaxed around food and stuff. And, and also I think that there are as well, like, so like I'm a big intaker. Like I guess we all are of like, you know, like, any of the like social media type things like uh like it, particularly for me like the picture ones like instagram and tumblr but like they're they can be negative influences but they can also be really positive and there are quite a few there's um there's good stuff on tumblr around mental health and like self-help and there's also really good like instagrams that like do push a different like body image and a different way of being and um that i find that really helpful as well because that is what i like intake on such a regular basis would you like to give a shout out to any particular ones that you um, think are good? <laughs> there's, um, I mean, these are a bit more like, I guess, like teeny fashiony, but there's um, Barbie Knox and uh, Petra Collins that are like promoting a different, like a different way of being for girls. Great. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wanted to hear a bit about how, you, you know, you said it was like 30, 2013 to the end of 2014. Yeah. What was it? made you start getting better I think you had a specific catalyst yeah so it kind of I tried to stop several times I think you know I'd wake up most days and be like right tomorrow you know today's you know not going on anymore and then like, as the day went on like I don't know if you guys like as the day goes on you're like oh I'm so hungry and then yeah you know, I'll just have something and then as soon as you start having something it was just yeah so I don't think I had just been having loads of sort of toothache and stuff for quite a while and um so I just went to the dentist. I hadn't been to the dentist, I don't know, I don't know, maybe a year or something. Um, and so I just had like a checkup with him. And he was like, yeah, you know, you need, you know, a few fillings and whatever. And uh, like some root canal. There's quite a lot they needed doing. And then as I was leaving, he kind of said, like the dental nurse went out and the guy, he was quite a young guy. He was probably 30 maybe. Um, so I was 26 at the time. So quite similar ages. He kind of said, oh, do you mind if I just have a word? It's like yeah okay sure um and he was like you know is there anything you want to tell me and i was like, like i have no idea what he was on about literally no idea and he was like well you know you got a huge amount of like wear at the backs of your teeth he said the backs of your teeth are pretty much flat and like you've lost like 75 percent of your front teeth which i genuinely hadn't even noticed like i don't know because you know, i don't have much hair like i don't spend much time looking in the mirror or whatever and I think it happened over like two years. Like I didn't, they didn't just suddenly get really small or anything. And it was only when I kind of looked at his teeth and he was like, look, look at my teeth. And I looked at his teeth and then he showed, showed me the mirror of my teeth. And I was like, they're absolutely tiny, like they're little stubs. And I'd never, I'd never noticed that. And it was, that was quite shocking. And he said, you know, you've either, there's two reasons to this. You've either, you know, you either have reflux, which is obviously a medical condition was 
to do with like your stomach and the the acid kind of coming back up your throat or he said you're making yourself sick you know he was like you're a really skinny guy you know you've told me you run a lot you know he's like is there you know anything you want to say and I don't know it's just it's weird and no one had ever like come out straight away he didn't accuse me of it he just well he basically did but in a roundabout kind of way and I was like well I can't lie about this like I've become so good at lying about like everything else you know about when I'd eaten or who I'd eaten with or you know the fact that I was running a lot or whatever and it's like I literally couldn't lie because it was just like black and white it's like you know, the teeth are worn here and here. There's two reasons. It's not the other ones. It's obviously this one. And so I just told him, I was like, yeah, like I make myself sick pretty much every time I eat. And he was like, how long it's been going on for? And I was like, probably like almost two years. And he said, well, just so that you know, if it carries on. You know, he was like, in six months, you won't have any front teeth left. He said, they'll just be gone. And so I was like, yeah, well, like I've been able to like lie about everything else and kind of hide everything else. I was like, I'm 26, how am I going to hide, like, having no front teeth, like, you can't, you know, there's no, I don't know how I could justify, like, say I got hit in the mouth, but for a while, I think I thought, like, how could I lie about this? So, like, I thought I could maybe say, like, I got, like, hit in the mouth or something. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So, I remember getting in the car, kind of, after this appointment, because he said, you know, I had a good chat with him, he said, well, I'll write off to Guy's Hospital, and, like, I'll write up your case and see if we can get you referred to go and see like a specialist there. And I remember getting in the car afterwards and I was just, I remember sitting in the car, I was like, it was felt like, it was like terrifying because I thought like I suddenly realized, I was suddenly so self-conscious of my teeth, like so self-conscious now he said this and kind of pointed out. But also it was like a massive relief. I was just like, thank God, like someone else knows. Cause literally like nobody, nobody knew at this point other than just me and this dentist. So I was like, right, okay, gotta stop now. Like it has to like, I've got to keep what little front teeth I have now. Yeah, so it was it was quite nice to have like a pure reason, like I had to. Um, but the worst thing was it was kind of mid-December. Mm. So like right before Christmas. And I was like, oh my God. All I could think about was what I was going to eat on Christmas Day. I was like, how do I, like I was like, I can't have a roast dinner. I was like, I can't have a Christmas roast dinner. But I was like, how do I then come up with a reason not to have it? Um, yeah, it was very stressful. It was a stressful time. I'm interested because you have the resolution, but it is, it, I think it's hard to train yourself to have a, a different relationship with food. Yeah. Because you can just so easily fall into doing what you've got used to doing. Mm. How did you like, yeah, how did, how did you take practical steps to start eating in a more healthy way? Yeah, I remember thinking, I don't know how I exactly, but I kind of thought, right, if I have to eat something, I'm going to only eat like really, really like ultra healthy food. So I was just like, I'll just eat loads of fruit and veg, you know. So I literally kind of for the next week, I only ate fruit and veg basically. So yeah, what I was like in terms of like calories and stuff, it was nowhere near enough what I should have been having. But it was just to get myself used, I think, to, I was like, if I'm going to keep stuff down, like it needs to be something that's not going to, you know, I'm not going to put on weight from eating. So I think I gave myself you know, like seven or eight things I could eat. And I was like, I'm just going to eat these foods, you know, and that's going to, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrendous. Cause even like I'd have an apple or something and just feel really full. And then as soon as I'd eaten something, there was just like period afterwards where I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like I have a meal and then 
that's when I would like making a reason to go to the bathroom or whatever. Now it's just like, what what do people do like after a meal? <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah, it's very hard. It's just getting out of the routine. It was just getting out of the routine, I think, which was the hardest thing. So I would always try and make sure I was busy or like I was going out after I'd eaten. Like I kind of plan my day so I'd have a meal and then go out just so I wasn't in the house or wasn't around like other food or... And then it just kind of... Yeah, after a week or so, it kind of... I don't know. It it still felt weird. Like it still felt like I was really, really, really having to try so hard not to. Like it took a long time to kind of fit. You know, I suddenly had all this time on my hands. It's like, what? What? How do I feel all this time? Yeah, it's very strange. I think. Um, yeah, the hardest part I'd say was just breaking that routine and getting used to kind of the feeling of feeling full. And like this guilt after you'd eaten something, which was, yeah, it's just very difficult. And you mentioned that you'd been lying to people around you about your eating habits. Were you still keeping this struggle to yourself when you were trying to get better? Yeah, so I, this was, I kind of got through Christmas. So my Christmas dinner was a bowl of vegetable soup, um, which I, I don't know how, we had some friends around, family friends around as well. So I think there's about eight of us around the table they had like all had roast dinners and I had like a bowl of vegetable soup. I can't remember what I said now. I can't remember how I exp- like justified why I was only having this. I can't remember what I made. And I remember waking up that morning and going for like a really long run to kind of, yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. I don't know how I kind of, I probably should just, you should have just said something straight away. I should have come back from the dentist and just said to my family or whatever, like, this is what's going on. Like, can you help me out? You know? But instead, I just didn't just didn't tell anyone. I don't know, I kind of felt like I got myself into that trouble. So I kind of didn't want to then burden it with anyone else. You know, I kind of felt like it was my own fault. So it was up to me to kind of deal with it on my own and stuff. Maybe I think I was probably just more like ashamed of it really, or like embarrassed about what people would say. So I was like, I just won't say anything, which in hindsight made it so much worse. And yet now, you probably told more people I know, right? <laughs> about it, you, you know, a, a year on, basically a year on from this very isolated time you're describing, you've written your story for The Guardian. Uh, so that's like a massive, massive flip from you yeah. being the only person that knows to like, I don't know what The Guardian circulation is, but um, I, I'm... Yeah, I got an email later in the day and the lady said oh, it's been read like over 10,000 times. And I was like, okay, that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I was like, who are these 10,000 people? Um, yeah, so I didn't actually tell anyone for, it was like a good nine months probably. So I started seeing someone kind of in the April. So kind of like four months afterwards, like, that I just thought sort of broken the habit. And I remember, I was like, okay, at what point do I tell this girl like what I've been through and whatever? I was like, do you just on the first date? Am I like, hi, you know, just to let you know. Um, yeah. And then remember the day before our first date, I'd been to the dentist and had like some like, uh, like temporary crowns and stuff fitted. Cause I remember going down to the dentist and I was like, what if I, like, they can't do this today. I was like, I'm gonna have to cancel this date. Cause like, she's not gonna go out with someone with stubby teeth or whatever. Um, and I remember like it was uh, lunchtime 
I met her at lunchtime and she was like, okay, like, do you want to get some lunch? And I was like, ooh. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like, I, at that point, I was still only eating, like, fruit and veg and, like, a little bit more, like, porridge and stuff, but still eating ridiculously healthily for how much exercise I was doing and stuff. And I remember going to this restaurant, and that was the first time probably in, I don't know, like, a good, like, nearly two and a half years that I'd been into, like, a restaurant and had, like, a proper a lunch or whatever. <laughs> And yeah, was, I remember just such a weird feeling. Like for like on a first day, I was just like, I don't know what, what do I order? <laughs> like, yeah, it's very strange. Um, so I didn't tell her until kind of four or five months later. I remember just having like a big argument and I just really sort of cliche like came out. I was like, oh, you don't know anything about me. I was like, you know nothing about what I've been through. Like classic kind of, yeah, <laughs> sort of cheesy line. <laughs> and she's like, go on then, you know. And so I told her and she was kind of, I don't really know how, yeah. In hindsight, she didn't take it very well. Like at the time I thought, oh, she's taking that really well. But how I've seen how everyone else has taken it, I was like, she's taken that terribly. Um, how did she take it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we were quite, it was in the middle of breaking up and then, so we didn't really speak for next week or whatever. And then I think she's spoken to it with her family and stuff, or told her parents about it. And so we got back together, but literally we were together for another couple of months and yeah, she would, like, if I was in the bathroom for more than, I don't know, a minute, <laughs> I'm being deadly serious, she would knock on the door. I'm deadly serious, she would bang on the door and say, what's going, what are you doing? I know, right? <laughs> At the time, I was like, this is really strange. <laughs> no one can go about their bathroom business under those circumstances. <laughs> I'm being deadly serious. She, yeah, I remember, I was like, um, going to the toilet. <laughs> So, I mean, serious, she used to knock on the door and say, like, what's going on? And at the time, I was like, because she was the first person I told. So I was like, okay, maybe this is how everyone else, maybe this is how people take this news. <laughs> you better get used to it. A lot of attention. Yeah, I was like, God, I've got to, like, wait until I'm bursting until I can go to the toilet. And a couple of times, she kind of just flat out, like, accused me. Like, I remember it was really weird one night. I, was, like, I went into the bathroom, like, brushed my teeth. I remember seeing, like, a bit of food on the floor, like, near the toilet. And I just, I remember seeing it. I was like, that's a bit weird. Why was there food like on the mat in the toilet? And then I went back into the, the bedroom and she went to brush her teeth. And she came in and was like, you've been sick in there. It's like, what? No. She's like, oh, there's food on the floor. Like, you've obviously been sick. Like, it smells of food. I was like, well, there's all sorts of smells like in the bathroom. I was like, yeah, and that was very difficult. Like, because I, I obviously couldn't prove they hadn't. Like, and she clearly didn't take my word for it. Um... So I didn't actually tell, I told my parents as well as her. But I think for another couple of months, I didn't tell anyone, simply because the way she kind of took it, I was like, well, that's one person, like how are the next, you know, how are my friends gonna take it, whatever. Everyone um, knocking on the bathroom door. I mean, door. serious, <laughs> banging on the bathroom door, it's so weird. He said like, leave it unlocked, like just to prove to her that I wasn't doing anything, which was very strange. Um, so then we, we broke up and a few days later, I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell everyone this. So I set up like What a, month was this? This was like end of November. So like a couple of months later. So kind of almost a year afterwards. Um, yeah, so I set up like a little Just Giving page and just... I mean, I, initially, I just sent it to my close friends on WhatsApp. And then I just I like sent it and then didn't look at my phone for about two hours. What did it say on the Just Giving page? It literally just, I remember um, just being awake one night, kind of like one in the morning or something. And I just had this idea to write everything down. And then I think it would, I thought it would help me kind of just to get out of my system to write it down. So it was literally kind of, 
warts and all like they didn't kind of it was very like specific detail kind of very honest and the next day I was like okay no one is reading this ever and then kind of as the day went on I was like well like maybe my friends like would like to read it and so I sent it to them like it's on our group whatsapp and then I literally didn't look at my phone for two hours like I could hear it like it was on my desk at work I could like see it vibrating and like flashing and stuff but I was, I was just terrified as to how as what these guys were going to say like literally terrified I thought they were my best friends and known them all like 20 plus years I just thought they were going to laugh or whatever like because in my head kind of I probably still saw it as something like a lot of people do that it was just teenage girls or whatever so I think the fact that I thought there was like a guy in my 20s that I just get kind of ridiculed for it really but they all took it my friends took it really well and then that night I kind of put it on my Facebook page and got just like inundated with messages from like friends and like a girl I went to the prom with when I was like 16 messaged me mm. <laughs> like I don't think I've seen her since I think she, someone had shared it and she'd seen it on their page and yeah and that kind of made me think actually it's not anything to be like although I was kind of I was comfortable with it mm. like I think I've probably still maybe a little bit wary of what other people would say so that was the moment where i was like okay this is like nothing to be embarrassed about you know it's like an illness it's not i tried to start i literally couldn't stop it's not you know it's not like i was yeah it's just that was when i realized coming it was just i needed to tell more people really um yeah so it just kind of just grew from there uh, and i think that segues nicely to just kind of checking in where we all are now in terms of our recovery and I realise this is a challenging thing to do as like one thing you do get good at if you have an eating disorder is like kind of like fronting like everything is good. So it, uh, you know, like kind of spinning things so that they're good. And, you know, there's like this kind of protective urge to hold on to the truth of how things are like for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. I, I'm pretty proud of where I am. Like, I think it's, uh, yeah, so, as I said, like I, it, I haven't probably thrown up just even in an isolated way for for years. And even prior to that, it was really like a kind of like one off. I'd feel awful. I'd throw up, see if I felt better, and then I didn't feel better. And I was like, oh well, great. I've taught myself something that I already knew again. Um, but yeah, like the the things that it's most difficult to shed is that the yeah the, the psychological hang ups. And I, I do sometimes at my most vulnerable points, I'll look at someone uh, really naturally thin and just presume that their life is amazing and wonderful and that like, really my goal should be to drop all my ambitions and just strive to appear like them because then everything would just be easy. But I can recognize that as a fallacious thought and I know that I'm just projecting onto that person and that person will have the, all their own shit as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been and it's exciting and it's exciting to be able to see through your own shit like uh, you know I, I'll i have disordered thoughts and then I'll realise that they're disordered thoughts and then I can just carry on with my day and it's a really good feeling to, to be able to do that because I know once upon a time I was a slave to them and uh, now I'm just not anymore Yes um, Yeah so um, I uh, also haven't uh, thrown up for uh um, years and I think um, f- like for me m- the kind of way that it worked out is that I didn't ever have like um, any points where I, I did it like very extremely but I over like that whatever that 
period was. It would pop up when things were really stressful for me. I was very anxious. And I think that that um, click in my brain now where I might be very anxious, um, uh, I, I won't now think, oh, I'm, I need to throw up. And that's been, it's been like that for um, uh, like a, a long time now. Um, which So that's, that's good. Um, I think... I was always really into like um like kind of like sport and health and um I think um that's definitely continued um and I think like Sophie said I certainly even to to this day really struggle with like body image issues um but particularly in the last year that's even twist that's even turned on its head a bit more positively and um the more I've got into like um so I used to do a lot of gymnastics when I was younger and now I do a lot of yoga so the more I get into like the kind of handstands like uh, real flexibility stuff the more um it's really odd but the more proud I feel of my body and the less bothered I feel about what weight I am but it's more about like wow what, what can it do and isn't that amazing and it's this like um like I mean, I'm really yogic now, but it's this like living, like kind of like you know, this like being that lives and like does things, and like that's kind of cool. And um, that's yeah, and that's been in the last year. So I have maybe tipped to worry less about my weight and more about like what what physically can I achieve. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, Tom, I realise this is mo- all like a bit more raw for you. Like we're, we're sitting on a handy buffer of years, <laughs> and we, you know, like this is all still relatively raw for you um but yeah I mean do you mind saying where you are in terms of your recovery yeah sure so it's kind of about 13 months I guess now um yeah like initially I probably like I generally haven't been sick once since which I thought I never thought would be the case I think I probably punished myself in other ways so I was just like I was running a lot you know before this all started and then obviously during it was quite bad but I think kind of the, the start of 2015 so kind of January February I was just dealt with it but I was just running like crazy amounts like twice a day I think I was just punishing myself for the fact that I was eating stuff so I wasn't I kind of got over that maybe the physical like urge to eat food and because I had this threat with my teeth and stuff and um but I probably punished myself in other ways like physically if you know what I mean so either by being really hard on myself was to run a lot and you know eat really healthily and stuff so I think it was a new because I couldn't like purge and make myself sick like I had to so were you non-purging type do you think you know we read out that definition of non-purging type bulimic what during this yeah, year when yeah when you were recovering and you realized you couldn't throw up but you were like compensating um yeah I was just I think I thought yeah I guess maybe I didn't want I was still probably had this worry of like putting on weight so I just thought well if I'm gonna eat more I need to do more you know what I mean? So I probably compensated in that way. But then once I started seeing my girl, my girlfriend at the time, I mean, that probably helped because like socially I'd missed out on a lot during that time. You know, I was not going out that much and I didn't really enjoy it when I did go out because it was quite stressful. And I think kind of that experience with her kind of allowed me to see that I could, you know, have a few drinks or have a few like what I would call bad meals and stuff. And actually it wouldn't affect anything. And if anything, like my running at the time improved because I was actually like giving my body what it needed to like do more physically and yeah I guess that whole experience probably allowed me I could kind of integrate my way back into like a normal lifestyle um yeah and it's just kind of over that next sort of seven or eight months it's probably 
yeah, it feels like eating wise, I don't have any of the, I don't feel like I have any of the like the distorted thoughts about what I'm eating or and the guilt of after eating stuff has gone and the amount I exercise and run is a lot less. So I think kind of that's probably I don't say normal. I don't know what normal is, but like that's probably much more like if I don't run or exercise for two or three days, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Whereas before it was like the end of the world. I'm probably still very like hard on myself. I'm probably still like a bit of a perfectionist, and I probably still probably fit, see other people as like happier than I am. Maybe like I don't know why that is as such. Like maybe it's because I was so like hard on myself for like a couple of years that maybe it's going to take time for that to kind of. I'm never going to suddenly be this really easygoing, like laid back, chill guy. I don't think, but I think I'm still I'm on my way there. I think, but maybe, yeah. Still got maybe a little while to go on that front. And um, what is your idea of, of progress? Like, what I mean by this is, uh, you know, you're like in a place where you, yeah, you, you, you've really made a lot of progress and you've been open with people. What is your idea of making more progress still? Um, I don't know really. It's like physically, I've. I probably like my appearance more now than I did like at any point in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's difficult really. I don't know how, where I see, like I haven't set myself kind of a target as to where I want to get to. I think I just feel like more comfortable and like the reaction I've had since kind of people have read about my story is nice. Like it's nice to know like I've got more of a support network than I probably had. So I guess I just want to progress that on that front by kind of, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's difficult, really. I've kind of embraced kind of my experience more now. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's at what point that kind of I'm no longer like bulimia boy and kind of a normal, average guy again who had a like a unpleasant experience. So, but I guess, and this is where the labels thing is just like a little bit of a albatross. You know, it you're making sense of your life now. And people were supporting you to make sense of your life. And uh, it's kind of a shame that it's bound up in the tag Believe Me Boy because it sounds like it, there's, there's loads of different stuff going on there. You know, it's like you letting people in instead of you being really like in your own perfectionistic bubble with your own unachievable goals. It's, it's like, it's deeper. You're deeper than Believe Me Boy. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of, because I waited so long to tell people, I guess it's kind of, I didn't go through everything at the same time. So I kind of, I dealt with the physical like habits and then I got to a position where I was kind of comfortable with it. And then I started telling people and I've now probably dealing with the kind of the emotional side of it, but obviously a year apart. So it's probably, I don't quite know where I am on that spectrum. Like physically I'm I've sort of fully recovered, but I guess now I don't know like what my role is as such. Like, I don't know, like I've made a big point of kind of trying to, speak about it and kind of encourage people to speak about it and sh share that with other people um so i don't kind of probably don't know where like to draw the line like where i where i am between like kind of this heroic kind of brave person and kind of my old self who i didn't particularly like so i guess maybe that will take time to find out where i am on that scale have you ever seen a counselor or a therapist yeah so um Initially, so when I told my parents and my girlfriend in September, 
they said, well, you know, you should go and see the GP. So I went and spoke to my GP. Um, and they suggested some checks, you know, like uh, to my heart and stuff. And that was all fine. And she said, well, I can refer you to the, the eating disorder unit. Like if you want to speak to someone. And I was like, yeah, I think it would be good to speak to someone. Um, so I waited like two months to get an appointment. And then I had, I spoke to a guy for probably like a couple of years, uh, sorry, a couple of hours. And like at the end of it, he, he barely said a word the whole way. He just kind of prompted me. And I, once I got talking about it, as you can probably understand, I just, like just, it was just so nice to talk about. It. I just spoke forever. And at the end he was like, well, it wasn't that serious, was it? And I was like, right. He was like, well, you were never like hospitalized, were you? I was like, well, no, but like, he was like, you know, kind of, and if you seem fine now, I was like, well, like, yeah. And he said, okay, well, I'll write up your notes and we'll we'll be in touch. And that was November and I've still like, not heard anything. So Oh God. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of I think that kind of dismissive approach from medical people. I've had that a lot. And you're like I just put my heart to you and you're like Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so <laughs> I've told this guy more than I've told anyone probably ever. And it just worries me that they draw the line at kind of you need to be in hospital for, for it to be serious. Also, you look message. fine. Like it's a mental health disorder. Like that's got to be like the like first cli- like cliche. Like you can look fine. Mm. He's like, yeah, you seem fine now. I was like, well, I don't know. Like, am, am I? I kind of. <laughs> you're the. You should tell me this, shouldn't you? Um, yeah. So I'm. I'm sorry. That was your experience. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great, but I think kind of. So that couple of months was probably. Obviously, I had this, my girlfriend banging on the door. and um, But I think since telling my friends and like having loads of people reach out and stuff, I think it feels quite like therapeutic. And I find like speaking about it is quite... I find the more I speak about it, the more... It sounds like the more I realise like how ridiculous it is. And now I can almost like not make a joke of it because obviously it was a very unpleasant time. But I feel like now the more I talk about it, the more I realise kind of how kind of ridiculous what I was doing was. And I can almost... Yeah, I don't know, I'm not making a joke of it, but it helps me kind of just accept that, you know, more so, I think, just by speaking to people. So I think it has helped. And you say people have been responding to you ever since your Guardian article got published. What kind of responses are you getting? Um, all positive. I mean, obviously, no one would, I doubt anyone would contact me if it wasn't positive. But um, yeah, kind of, I must have had... I remember the first, I got an email kind of, someone had seen my Just Giving page, like a girl's mum emailed me um, and was like, you know, read your story, like I think it's great, you know, our daughter's like kind of in her recovery. And I was like, God, this is so nice that someone's contacted me. But then now I've, I've had probably had, I don't know, like at least 300 messages like that probably, like on a daily basis. Um, yeah, everyone either says, you know, it's really brave or like it's an inspiring thing or, you know, well done so it's, it's it's a really been a really great reaction and i've had quite a few people um who are currently still like suffering contact me which has been quite difficult because like, i'm not you know i'm not qualified or i don't mm. i have quite a lot of pressure in a way because i don't know like for them to reach out to me is probably quite like i know i certainly didn't tell anyone so i know it's probably quite a big thing for them to sit down and you know search me on facebook and find me and send me a message or whatever so i think it's probably prov- it looks like it's provoked some people to maybe at least speak about it or kind of confront it. Um, 
which is good, obviously, but it's just, I've sort of just tried to refer these people to like the charity, like to beat or to see their GP or whoever, because I don't kind of, you know, I'm kind of still dealing with my own stuff. I don't, it sounds really harsh, but I kind of need to be quite selfish, I think, in kind of, I'm not like a counsellor. I can't take on other people's problems as well, maybe. So it's just quite difficult. But yeah, on the whole, it's just been a really great reaction. It's quite indicative of the fact that people don't really know where to turn. That fact that when somebody like you tells their story and sticks their head above the parapet, you get such a response like this. Uh, you know, m maybe if this was a better world and there were more services and more places for people to go, you could tell your story and everyone would be like, cool, you told a story. Yeah. Instead, everyone's like, gather around. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where I would... Like, obviously, I, I don't know where if I was like, okay, I was struggling. Like, looking back, I don't know who I would have spoken to because I don't think my parents would have understood, really. Like, my brother, I probably would have feared what he would have said, even though we were very close. But I probably wouldn't have... I don't know. Would I, I don't know if I'd gone to the doctor. Like, I don't think... I don't think I saw it as, like, an illness at the time. So I probably wouldn't have then been, like, you know, in the same way if I had a cold or whatever, I'd go to the doctor. I don't know if I would have seen a doctor. I don't know. I think that's one of the big problems. You don't know, like, who to speak to there's no kind of set yeah I don't know who I would have spoken to um so exactly. I guess maybe yeah. yeah it's maybe people think it's easier to kind of send me a message than it is to tell someone in the same way I found it easier to speak to my dentist than I did like my mum or my brother maybe it's nice for people just to vent to someone they don't know maybe um I agree and um Liz just, just quickly as well like uh what for you represents progress away from eating disordered activities and thinking? Um, well, obviously, I guess, like, not doing the activity in the first place. Good start. <laughs> Good start. And then, um, so for me personally, um, I think actually, weirdly, even talking about it today, it's not something that I talk about very much now. And um, uh, I was even feeling a bit anxious coming and having to talk about it. But there is something kind of positive about saying oh like this happened and like it's okay and you do get through it and I realized just as we were doing this afternoon that still there isn't that much of a dialogue about it more openly considering how many people in some way uh have a slightly disordered um relationship with their bodies or with food you think that it would be more like in the public domain, um, w which is kind of why it's amazing that uh, Tom did do what he did, because I don't think there are that many stories. Um, so I think that talking about it maybe is actually really helpful um, in terms of like kind of my my own progress. Um, and also for me, I guess it's um, my my relationship with how I see myself. And I haven't got to this point yet, but when I am anxious or stressed or feel uncomfortable or something, it would be good that I don't blame it on myself and uh, blame it on how I look. Um, and I don't think I've got quite yet to that point. Um, but that, I think, would be uh, amazing progress. So? Yeah, similar. I mean, it. I like how, even though you're three totally different individuals, three totally different experience, it, it's like you have this weird understanding of each other uh and yeah it, uh, similar to you like uh, just being being kinder to yourself because I think you I th for me like I just got used to 
presuming that I was a terrible person and acting accordingly. And it's like, still, um, like I had some stress this week and uh, I automatically started making terrible things for myself. And then just my boyfriend was just like, because he's really like nice to himself. I, I mean, he's such a dick for being automatically <laughs> nice to himself. Like, I don't know where he gets these ideas. And he, d- you know, it's just like some kind of barometer of normality. He's just like, uh, yeah, like, just, just, yeah, just, why are you being like that to yourself? And you don't, you just kind of, you don't even notice it. You just think that that's what everyone does. Yeah, like, you know, everyone always presumes the worst about themselves. And, uh, but no, people don't. And it, it's not the way to live. Like, the, the way to live is, is 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 not is just yeah like take it easy on yourself and if you feel mixed up you don't have to do anything about it you can just go for a walk you can find people and talk to them and you know you don't have to take dramatic self-destructive action and that's like what that's what I'm learning and that's what I think is good progress to yeah just like when you have these feelings these like pretty unbearable feelings you just like walk around with them for a bit and uh yeah and then turn to people good people who can who can help you process them and figure them out and make sense of them and it, it doesn't have to be this this big internal drama it can just be something you figure out with people and I do think really at its core it's it's a it's a bit of a, a relationship problem like believe me it's a bit of a relationship problem you, you can't quite relate to yourself well you can't quite relate to other people with enough intimacy and say so in that vacuum this problem grows and I think one way of working it out is you have to just really try and cultivate really nice relationships with people uh, and that can help you onward. But also relationship with yourself, I think, firstly, most importantly. Um, yeah, and I think that's something I'm still learning. Like, I think it's easier to be nice to other people and give them the benefit of the doubt, but to do that for yourself, I think, is quite hard. Um, and yeah, I'm learning. Like, I'm still le- I'm learning that right now, I think. And so we're going to, because this, this episode of the show is uh, called How Does Bulimia End? So uh, in the name of making it a neat <laughs> ending, uh, I'm going to just ask everyone to give a one-line answer to the question, how does bulimia end? So I'll start with Tom. How does bulimia end? <laughs> Tell right, us. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably what Liz touched on a minute ago, I guess I probably still probably... It's not going to be a one-line answer. Um, <laughs> probably kind of have a better relationship with myself, maybe. I think I still probably care about, like, other people more than I care about myself. Or um, So maybe, yeah, just be happier with myself, maybe. Just in general, kind of feel, as you said, not be so hard on myself or give myself a, cut myself a bit of slack, probably. I'm not sure that's really an answer, but... I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cut yourself some slack on that yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Liz? Um, so how does bulimia end? So I think it, like, it, yeah, I said before, like, I think it ends practically, and I do think just the action of not doing it is an ending in itself and, and really positive. Um, and then I think it's, yeah, um, like Tom said, it's a bit of a longer process after that of thinking about why why you did something so mean to yourself, like, like why would you want to do that? Um, and, and, yeah, and working through maybe how... How you got to that point, and then thinking, and and um, yeah, and then thinking about being uh, kind of kinder to yourself, uh, like after that, and maybe not putting your body through um, like um, such uh, kind of like stress. Um, 
I'm going to give a one-line answer, but it's kind of cheating because I knew that I had this note down and I thought about it ahead of time. <laughs> so yeah, this, it's not this simple. Um, but I think everything we said beforehand exemplifies that it's not this simple, but seek out good people. So yes, so that's the end of today's show. Uh, thank you very much for Tom Fairbrother for coming to join us today. Uh, and Myself and Lizzie Stimson will be back another round of spill your guts uh, let's all say bye on the count of three. <laughs> One, two, three. bye, bye. <laughs>